exercises. I am Rachel Amaday. What a blessing to be here with you all today. Uh, It is a Wednesday, middle of the week. I usually do my podcast at the very least one on Monday, but with the holiday this week and the kids going back to school, I decided to wait because I wanted to have time to do more research. And now, even though I'm doing the podcast today, I want to have time to do even more research because this topic is fascinating to me. I am so excited to start sharing this with you. And I wish I had weeks of time to prepare this particular podcast. I don't. So what I'm going to tell you about today is that this topic is um, something I am newly digging into. I've always been really interested in eschatology and end time studies, in what's going on with the mark of the beast and that sort of thing. But I've never dug into it too deeply just because I have heard so many different people give so many different ideas. I have heard people give prophecies that did not come to pass. I have heard all sorts of things come out of the mouths of people. And guess what? We just won't know if a lot of this stuff is accurate until it happens. This is one of those things we can't be overly dogmatic about. And so I want to offer this podcast to you with an open hand and present to you some ideas that I had not dug into this deeply previously. I had not understood this well previously. And I feel like I am just cracking the surface of this. And it implies so many things for the end times believer. It implies so many things that could possibly end up being the mark of the beast, could possibly be a way that God designates his people, steals his people versus people who belong to the system. So we are going to dig into some of this today. And we're going to try to start with, start from the top. We're going to get into a lot of scripture today. And I, again, I'm offering this to you with an open hand. I'm not holding on to this tightly. You know, I may come to you in a few weeks if I keep digging into this and say, here's a couple places where I think my thinking, my reasoning was off, or here's even more that could back it up. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where this is going to go. But I think it was worth bringing to you because, and I I keep harping on this. We're going to harp on the Sabbath again today. And I know, I'm preparing you. I know you're like, Rachel, you bring up the Sabbath pretty much every stinking time you do a podcast, (laughs) but I'm going to tell you today's teaching is going to give you an even deeper, more important reason why understanding, understanding the Sabbath is hammered home throughout scripture and becomes such an important piece for us as we enter into end times and end times discussions and um, even even the end times, you know, we may see the Lord come back. Our children may see the Lord come back. I want to give my kids the best possible information that I can. I want to lead them down the best paths of wisdom that I can find. And I know you want to do the same. So be patient, right? And, and understand there are reasons why God has laid this particular message about the Sabbath on my heart. And I know it's to share with you. I know that there are no coincidences. I know if you're listening to to this podcast, it is for a reason. You know, God maybe has something for you that you did not plan on today or you were not thinking about today, but be open to what he might want to share with you, either through me or maybe something I say sparks your own research and journey. And I always encourage that. You open up the Bible as we go through this podcast. You get your scriptures out. And you look and see if what I'm saying makes sense to you. Please get into the word of God. God will speak to you through his word. So we're going to start this out. Um, We're going to start talking about two types of marks that distinguish two different types of people in the end times. And this is the concept. They're marked on the forehead and the hand. Okay. And these two locations on the body are really important. Think about this. Think about these locations because they matter. Your forehead 
right, is in the location, the middle of the front part of your brain. It's right in front of your brain's frontal lobes, which manage the frontal lobes of the brain manage thoughts, emotions, personality, and also muscle control, movement, and memory. The tasks here for the frontal lobes include reasoning, social understanding, executive function, voluntary muscle movements, and learning and recalling information. How interesting is it that the Bible says that this on the front of your forehead, this is the location to bind the laws of God to. We're going to look at a verse on this in Deuteronomy 6. This is where the Shema is located, and many of you are are um, familiar with the Shema. It's something that a lot of Jews say every day. I try to call it to mind on a daily basis. I've not really fully understood why, and here I feel like I'm starting to understand why, okay? So here's what Deuteronomy 6, it says this, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord the God of your ancestors promised you hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Okay, so... This location, this frontal lobe location where in Deuteronomy 6, it says to bind God's laws to that area of your body. This is where you are supposed to keep them. Why? Well, your frontal lobes, right? They're your reasoning. They're how you understand society. They're how you organize your day. And they control your voluntary muscle movements. What do you do? So here's where the hand comes into play. So if you have bound the laws of God to your mind, to the place where your thoughts are located and your muscle control is located, then you are going to tell your body, you are going to tell your hands to do the works of the Lord, to do good and not evil, to go out and do work that is godly and not ungodly, okay? So this location of the head and the hand is so important. And here it is very early on in scripture, this this binding, this marking of the forehead and this marking of the hands, that you mark your frontal lobes of your brain and you mark the work of your hands with God's laws, his truths. So it makes so much sense to me that people would say the Shema every day because this is the ultimate reminder. This is the ultimate in having a mark upon you that designates that you belong to God and that you're going to do the works of God. And we're going to get into some works in particular that make it obvious to the spiritual realm whose you are. Let's go to Ezekiel 3. Ezekiel is sent to speak to Israel during a time of stubborn rebellion, okay, against the Lord. And so in Ezekiel 3, Adonai says this to Ezekiel. He says, but the people of Israel are not willing to listen to you because they're not willing to listen to me. For all the Israelites are hardened and obstinate, but I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint, do not be afraid of them or terrified by, the, by them, though they are a rebellious people, end quote. So the rebellion of Israel was that their thoughts, their minds, their emotions, and their muscle control, what they were doing with that, were hardened against the Lord. They were marked as rebellious in their frontal lobes, in their mind. 
And so God says to Ezekiel, I will make you more unyielding. I'll make your forehead harder than flint. I'm going to give you the reasoning and the self-control and the memory that I have so that you are more stubborn than they are, so that you do not give in, so that you are preaching and teaching my ways in the face of such a rebellious people, okay? Now, through through this podcast, what I wanted to do is I wanted to take you to all these Bible verses that talk about the forehead and the hand and having a mark there of some kind, either a mark that is of the Lord or one that is of rebellion. And so be, because when we get to Revelation, you're going to under you're going to fully more fully understand the meaning of these locations what they what they're actually talking about are we talking about a physical mark does it have to be physical well maybe maybe the mark of the beast will be physical but what we're really talking about throughout throughout scripture is not actually a physical mark it's some sort of spiritual marking and it's one that you can see in the physical realm by the actions that people are taking but it is obvious to me obviously God didn't make Ezekiel's forehead head out of flint. He didn't just change the the make makeup of Ezekiel's forehead. He's talking about hardening the mind of Ezekiel towards God's things, right? And so I want to take you to these verses so you can get some context of these locations on the body. And in my opinion, as we go through, you're going to see how, and I've said this in the past, I really believe the idea of that forehead and the hand, that this idea is about what you pledge allegiance to and your obedience to what you're pledging your life to and they they had they have this symbolism of pledge a pledge that you're making let's go to the story of Isaiah in second chronicles now Isaiah was godly up until a point but then something happens to him we're going to see the description here we have this but after Isaiah became powerful his pride led to his downfall He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah, the priest, with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in. They confronted King Isaiah and said, It is not right for you, Isaiah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Isaiah, who had a censer in his hand ready to burn incense, became angry. While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. His forehead breaks out in leprosy, this location of pride coming from his frontal lobe, his thoughts, his intentions, his reasoning. He thought he was better. He thought he was good enough to burn incense in the temple, or he thought he could. He thought he could overturn the Lord's laws and go in and do this himself. This is pride. And the forehead that location of his thoughts, his organizational skills, and his will. God afflicted that location. So when I think again about the mark of the beast, it makes a lot of sense that there's a pride element attached to it because after all, the adversary is filled with pride. And so his mark would include this trait, this concept that you can be God, that you can be like God, that you can overturn God's things. I hate to be calling out the the church once again, but to think you can overturn God's laws, this is what Isaiah did. It is prideful and it puts a bad, there's a bad connotation there that in your mind, in your frontal lobe area, your reasoning has decided that you or the Catholic church had the right to overturn God's ways. This is pride. God has always said the opposite. Who are you compared to the Lord? Why did he give his things? He gave them for our benefit and for the earth's benefit. Who are you to say that you have the right to change it? You have no right to change any of God's things. God has not changed. You can't change God. And so here we are with Uzziah out of alignment with God because God is unchanging in his ways. He's unchanging in his laws. 
and he's unchanging in the definitions of righteousness. And so when you decide that you get to define what is right and good and it goes against God's ways, there's something wrong in your frontal lobe, right? That forehead is being marked in opposition, rebellion, and pride towards the Lord. I think also of the story of David taking down Goliath. Listen, this I've talked about this. You can go back to some of my podcasts where I really dig into this. But remember, David grabs five stones. Those five stones, five is representative both of grace. It's also representative of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the books of the law. David grabs five smooth stones from the river, the river of life producing the laws of God. He flung one of those stones at the forehead, the thoughts, the minds, and the rebellion of the uncircumcised Goliath. Remember, David calls Goliath uncircumcised to point out that he is rebellious against God's ways. And then David goes and he chooses God's ways to take down the rebellion. And of course, it hits Goliath in the forehead, right in the spot of his will, his intentions, right where he is marked as rebellious against the Lord. Come on now. That, that's the, when you start to dig into the location of the forehead, these things become so deep and meaningful and important. Let's go to Isaiah 48. Listen to this. You descendants of Jacob and you who are called by the name of Israel and come from the line of Judah, you who take oaths in the name of the Lord and invoke the God of Israel, but not in truth or righteousness. You who call yourselves citizens of the holy city and claim to rely on the God of Israel, the Lord Almighty is his name. I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted and they came to pass. For I knew how stubborn you were. Your neck muscles were iron. Your forehead was bronze. Therefore, I told you these things long ago. Before they happened, I announced them to you so that you could not say, my images brought them about. My wooden image and metal God ordained them. You have heard these things. Look at them all. Will you not admit them? Okay, end quote. That was Isaiah 48, 1 through 6. Now, come on. He, he says that their forehead was bronze because they were stubborn and rebellious against God. And then he says, this is very interesting to me, and this comes to play when you get to look at the revelation, the groups of revelation people. He says, I told you these things long ago. So there was a prediction, there was a prophecy that these things would take place, that some of these things would take place. And so they cannot make this claim that it was their images that brought them about or their gods, their their little G gods that they had created. They couldn't say that their little G gods had ordained them because God himself had already told them these things would come to pass. So God himself is the one who is the author and he makes claim over that. Now, interestingly, the false Messiah, I think, is going to be religious. I think it's going to be very religious. And I think that what the Revelation um, end times people, they're describing people who worship false gods and false images. And even pharmakeia is even brought up as something people run to, to worship. It's, you know, the translations call it sorcery or witchcraft, but the original Greek word is pharmakeia. People are going to have all these false gods. But as the end times events are taking place, well, God had prophesied to the people that they would. And so people should not be running around saying, my false gods brought these things about. They need to understand that because God prophesied these things, it is by God that these things are coming about. And we as believers need to be careful that we don't join in the wrong message, join in the fray. When the evil one comes, when the anti the false messiah comes, when difficult and trying times come, when hard things happen, we need to stop giving credit for what happens on the earth. Stop giving so much credit to the enemy. Don't you know that God has allowed all of this? And when the prophecies start coming to pass, that is of the Lord. Now, obviously, God doesn't sanction, he doesn't sanctify, right? He doesn't anoint the false Messiah to do everything that he is doing. 
but God told you it would happen. So who are you going to go to when it does? You're going to run to your false gods? Are you going to run to the pharmaceutical companies? Are you going to run to the politicians? Are you going to run to the false religious um, systems? Because there will be a false religious system. I believe strongly there will be a false religious system that will be very appealing to mainstream Christianity and Catholicism and maybe even Islam. And it's going to be very, you know, oneness oriented and the false Messiah will seem like a hero. Are you going to run to those things? Here we have Isaiah giving a prophecy, prophesy, prophesying to Israel um, and Judah. And yet I think this sounds a lot like, especially since the forehead is brought up, that forehead being made of bronze. These people are in rebellion against God. They have made their choice of the system that they follow, and they are running to their little G gods. And he's like, you're supposed to run to me, and I'm the one, by the way, that told you these things would happen. There is something in there, I really believe, for the end times believer. Let's go to Exodus 13. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today in the month of Aviv you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand. And a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. Uh, we, are, we are having a discussion of basically the Passover and the Feast of First Fruits and the Feast of Unleavened Bread here. There's seven days. Remember, seven is very meaningful in Scripture. There are seven candlesticks on the menorah. Uh, seven days of creation, that seventh day being a day of rest is essential. It's important. This uh, sign, this commemoration, when you do this, it becomes like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead. What? Have you ever really understood what this means? That these feast days, and we're going to get into the Sabbath day here too, um, th this is a sign. It gets put on your hand. It gets put in the frontal lobe of your brain. And it's a sign that the law of the Lord is to be on your lips. It's a sign that you are not in rebellion against God's ways, but you are in submission to God's ways and that you do his things and you love them. Now we're getting into the mark that belongs to the believer again so does this matter in the end times? Well, so I want—I just want to remind you, and I think I get to a later Exodus 20, when it describes the Sabbath day, what does it say? It says, and this will be a sign between me and my people, that the Sabbath day, keeping of the Sabbath is a sign. It's a mark that you belong to Adonai. You belong to God. And we'll, we'll talk about how important the Sabbath day is in as a rebellion against the slave system of the false Messiah, the beast system, that the Sabbath day is submission to God and rebellion against the system of materialism in the world. We'll talk about that um, when we get to the mark of the beast. But let's talk about the end times then and what these marks could really mean. So... Um, in Revelation, we have this. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000. 
from all the tribes of Israel. Now let's go to Revelation 14.1. It says this, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So we know that it's the name of God that gets written on this group of people's foreheads to seal them so that they don't receive any harm while God is judging um, the earth, while God is judging. And they, I believe, are kind of the superheroes of the end times. They're going to help people. They're going to help people escape. They're going to help people stay safe. Um, but they get a special extra seal on their foreheads. And it ends up being, you know, Yehovah or the father's name and Yahusha, Yeshua, the, the son's name. Ezekiel 9.4 says this, the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. That's in Ezekiel. Guys, this has already happened once. This already happened. That there, God was going to go in and judge Jerusalem. He was going to judge the city. Um, there was going to be a lot of death and destruction, and that's what happens. They go in and they kill all the men and women and children that do not have this mark that gets put on their foreheads. And what is the distinguishing aspect that um, that lets these people in Ezekiel receive the mark. It's those who sigh and groan over the abominations that are being committed. It's those who are in anguish over sin and who are not rebellious to the Lord, but who are saddened by the destructive nature happening from the rebellion against God and the sin that's being committed. That is the distinguishing aspect for those who receive. It's not those who proclaim the name of God. It's not those who say they believe in God. It's not those who look like they're doing the right things. It's those who are actually mourning like God does over the abominations that are happening. Those who go about in sadness over the destruction of sin, right? And those who are obviously not participating in it because it breaks their hearts. This is the distinguishing aspect for those in Ezekiel that received that mark. Interesting that we have a little mini example of this that's going to happen in the end times. So there's this seal. Again, the name of Yehovah and of Yeshua is placed on the foreheads of the people of God in the end times. So now we know that both in Exodus 13 and Exodus 20, God states that keeping his days, his Moedim and his Sabbath become signposts on your hands and your forehead that you belong to Yahweh. Why the Sabbath day? Why is this important? Well, let's, let's go through some reasons why. Number one, it proves you don't worship material things. In a society obsessed with success, most people work seven days a week. Don't even tell me they don't. Even Christians on Sundays, they go, they make other people work. They violate the Ten Commandments. They, they'll go out to a restaurant after, after service and make other people work. They'll make their employees work. They'll go home and they'll do chores in the yard in front of everybody, right? There are very few Christians that I know that actually rest on the Sabbath and dedicate the entire day to holy activity. Um, most people work seven days a week because we're constantly worshiping material things. And by the way, the worship of material things is the beast system. I really believe that. Um, cause when, and we'll get into the mark of the beast here, but the description of it really describes a system of, uh, some sort of monetary, um, and, and material need, desire, worship. And so when you are worshiping that, you're going to become a slave to that system. And a slave in that system is going to work every single day of the week because they want more and they want to keep up and they want to have things, right? So it proves that when you keep the Sabbath, it proves you do not worship material things and you're not part of that beast system. Number two, it acknowledges God as creator and his seven-day cycle of creation. This is so important that we remember that God is the one that authored everything. Therefore, he is the one that has the right to define things, to tell you what his laws are, and to hold you accountable. If you're going to follow him, to hold you accountable for what you do. He is the creator. 
That seventh day Sabbath, he rested. You are made in his image. You are made to rest on the seventh day as your God, who you are made in the image of, rested. You're supposed to look like him. You're supposed to act like him. You're supposed to be like him. He chose the seventh day to rest. You do not have the right to choose a different day. You don't. And the Catholic Church didn't have a right to choose a different day either. The seventh day, Sabbath, is a reminder of God's creation and at what point his creating ended and at what point he rested. He is also the author of the Sabbath day and he will be our Sabbath day rest. We enter into a rest with Yeshua that is a thousand year rest where he reigns on the earth and gives the earth rest and restoration. We are looking forward to the ultimate seventh day. Why would we practice anything different? The third reason why I believe the Sabbath day is an important mark for those in the end times that that distinguishes them is it shows that you follow the Ten Commandments because you love the Lord with all your heart. Because you love him, and that's the first command, right, that he is number one because he is your God. You do not have idols, commandment number two, because you love him. Number three, you're not flippant in carrying his name without obeying his ways. You don't violate the third commandment. You're not lying about who he is. You're not going out and saying you love him and then being disobedient to him. You're not carrying his name to disaster. You're carrying his name to his glory. Okay, you're not violating the third commandment because you love him. And because you love him, You obey the fourth commandment. You keep the Sabbath day on the seventh day. You do no work because you have trusted God with your resources. You have trusted God and his system, not in the beast system. And so keeping the Sabbath is part of your love for God. You're wanting to be in his house on his day, your desire to do what he says even when it's hard, and your desire to look different than the majority of people who walk the planet because he asked you to, okay? So the Sabbath day becomes this incredible lightning bolt moment that for those who keep it and follow it, to the spiritual realm, you are giving an unbelievable message. I don't belong to the beast system. I belong to God. So can you see how all of those things relate to the mark of the beast versus the mark of God? Because you worship God, those things become markers, right? And the first four of those 10 commandments really become the markers that you love God and not the beast system. This is about your worship and your pledge of allegiance, okay? So the adversary can only copy and pervert what God has done. And so we see this perversion happen in the end times. So throughout time, throughout, right? Now I've shown you all these Bible verses. God has put a mark on those who keep his commandments and keep his feast days. And so the enemy does the same thing. The enemy has the same type of marker in Revelation. Let's go there and let's take a look at this. Revelation 13, starting in verse 11. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all authority, all the authority of the first beast on its behalf, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name, end quote. Now, okay, there's so much here, right? But what we see is that this mark on the foreheads, again, that frontal lobe area, the minds, the thoughts, the reasoning, the executive functioning, the muscle control, right? The mark goes there and on their right hands. And it's attached to buying and selling. And this is why I really think that um, the end times mark really is attached to some sort of monetary system. 
and the motivation there will be heavy, right? People will want to be able to participate in the system, to buy and sell. And if they love the system, if they worship the system, then they will receive this mark and then they will have be fulfilling this um, unfortunate situation where they don't have a way back out of it. If you worship the beast and you receive the mark, right? And so what is in the frontal lobe of these people? It's likely, given all the scripture that we've seen, rebellion against God, um, not putting faith and trust and hope in God, and rebelling against God's ways, right? They're not obedient and submissive to God's things. And so they have their own system that they're in. And um, it really does seem to me to be attached again to something monetary. So there's other things that have come along, especially recently, that people are like, oh, this is the mark. This is the mark. Um, I I don't think I ascribe to that just yet. I think it's maybe m- money, actually, that's going to be the mark. But um, it's going to be attached to, to some kind of... Uh, denomination, some kind of, you know, Bitcoin or something like that. It's going to be monetary. That's my guess. Okay. But this uh, system of the world is what that Sabbath day rebels against. And I think it makes it very easy to see who is rebelling against that beast system by who decides not to buy or sell on a certain day, who refuses to work like a slave in that regard, and who refuses to worship at the feet of the material material things. Now, Mark here, um, the word for Mark here in Revelation is the word charagma, charagma. And um, this is a Greek word, and this is interesting to me. So it can mean a stamp, an imprinted mark. Um, the mark branded upon horses. It also means thing carved, sculpture, graven work, idolatrous images. Okay. So something that is an idol, something that is worshipped, something that you are pledging allegiance to, that is this mark. Okay, think about this. We're talking about the head and the hand being a pledge of allegiance. And through what you put in your mind and your submission to God's ways, it, you know, it produces what you do. I like to go back to that. Um, Isaiah 48, listen to you, you know, descendants of Jacob, where he says, I knew how stubborn you were. Your neck and muscles were iron. Your forehead was bronze. I told you this would happen long ago before they happened. I announced them to you so that you would not say my images brought them about. Oh, think about this. We have the image of the beast in Revelation telling people to do things. It has the power to kill people if they're disobedient. And we're, the world is going to think that that beast, that image, that it is stronger than anything, that nothing will be able to overcome it. The world is going to think that they have to pledge allegiance to that, that it is the most powerful entity, right? So the people at the end are going to say this. My images brought this about. My wooden image and metal God ordained this. They're going to say that exact thing out of Isaiah. And yet God has said, no, no, I'm the one who's going to bring about my redemption through this process, through this fire, through this... um, sifting through this difficulty, through this challenge, you know, what the enemy is attempting to do, I am going to use to redeem my people and redeem the whole earth. Don't say what the rest of the world will say. Oh, it's too powerful. Oh, the image, the beast, the image of the beast, it's too much. It's too powerful. God has already told you what he's going to do, right? Isn't that interesting? right? Isn't it amazing that the forehead and the hand have traditionally throughout scripture um, been a place for both a mark of who you belong to, you could belong to God, or you could belong to the rebellious and prideful spirit, right? The spirit of Cain, um, the false messiah, the rebellious, the adversary, That has existed throughout scripture, throughout all of scripture. It doesn't just randomly show up in Revelation. 
Um, so, and I think these are obviously maybe different marks that come about in the end times, different types of marks, but they're in the same locations for a reason. It's telling you something. It's telling you that where your mind is, where your, where your heart is, where your submission is, whether or not you are willing to submit to the laws of God is a big indicator as to which system you actually worship. And it will be very obvious in the end who worships who, right? And so when I encourage you guys and I I say the Sabbath day, God says it's a sign between him and his people. And then you have these really obvious signs taking place between God and his people in the end times and really obvious signs of those who worship the beast system happening between the false Messiah and those that he has deceived. Um, The Sabbath matters. The feast days matter. Your obedience to God matters matters. Your submission to God matters. That you don't go to scripture and say, well, somewhere along the line, we've been allowed to change these things. Scripture never teaches this. The Catholic Church teaches this. But scripture doesn't teach this. Scripture teaches to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, right, and strength, which means you're supposed to Bind his laws to your frontal lobes and force your body to submit to them. You are supposed to put yourself on the altar. Remember, it talks about dying to self. Well, what are you dying to when you die to self? You're dying to the flesh. And what the flesh wants, material things. The flesh wants to keep up with the Joneses. The flesh wants to have access to buy and sell at all times. The flesh wants to control things and wants to tell God what it wants to tell God. But if you were born of the Spirit, if you're born into God's kingdom, then you want to kill that rebellion. You want to put that to death. You want to put that on the altar and you want to say, no, God, I am your servant. I submit my fl- I submit my works to you, my mind to you, my frontal lobe to you, my reasoning to you. That even though I can't reason why maybe you've asked some of these things, you did ask them. I'm willing to recognize that you have asked me to do these things. And so I will submit and do them so that I can have a sign on my forehead and my hand that I belong to you so that when you look to the earth and when the angels come down to mark people, that they would see who I belong to. Now, I don't know who the 144,000 are really, really going to be, right? Um, I don't know that that's all the believers. I think that there's um, real evidence that it's actually just a an elite group that gets marked to be able to especially go around the earth and help people. That's my theory right now, uh, based on the mighty men of David in the Old Testament, you know, um, just, just based on some other things, I think that might be the case. However, God does say that there are signs that show him you belong to. The Sabbath day is one of them. Obviously, Passover, what we read about there. It's a mark, right? It becomes a mark on your forehead and your hands. You bind the laws of God to those places and they become a sign of who you belong to. And I want that sign. I want it on my forehead. I want it on my hand. You know, I I want it to be obvious and clear when I tell people I'm I'm not going to work today. I'm not going to do that thing. Listen, these are the days I celebrate. Would you like to learn about them? Listen, this is the, these are other acts of obedience. I am really passionate about taking care of the widows and the orphans. I want to tithe. I want to be faithful to God's ways. I want to love the Lord and love others the way God has described. I want to be a faithful wife, a good daughter, right? All these things, they matter. I don't want to, I don't want to gossip about others and steal their reputation because that's theft, right? That violates the Ten Commandments. So, and I definitely don't want to worship other gods. That is adultery against God. And I don't want to go worship the system that we're in. That cannot be the first place that I go to, that I run to when I'm in need or when things go bad or when this world is falling apart. I'm not going to run to the news media. I'm not going to run, like I said, to pharmacaea. I'm not going to run to politicians. I go to my God. And my God is Yahweh. It's Adonai. It's the Lord Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This must become more clear as things get harder, not less. And I do fear that for many believers, we are enmeshing with the world and becoming less different and less clear to others what it is that we stand for and who we are. 
And we will become offensive so much to the world that in the end, that image of the beast, anyone that doesn't follow him, it will have the power to kill those people. It will have the power to destroy you. You know, people will not understand. And by the way, all of this will be, I promise you, it will be in the name of peace and prosperity. It will come and it will say peace and love and prosperity. And everything I'm asking you to do is so that we can have wonderful community and peace and love and prosperity. And you know what? It will be rebellion against God. And they will ask you, I really believe they will ask you to violate God's days, God's holy days. It will ask you to change. What does Daniel tell us? Daniel tells us that the spirit of the false Messiah is one that wishes to change the days and times of God. And so the spirit of the false Messiah will be intent on telling you that Sunday is God's Sabbath day, will be intent on telling you, keep celebrating something called Christmas, keep celebrating something called Easter. Let's add in some other days too. Why not? Right? And there'll be religious days and we'll love them. We'll all celebrate them. They'll be so fun for everybody. And we are not going to celebrate just as Rome did with the early believers. Rome did this, you know, um, in about 300 AD, from about 70 AD on, Rome said, we're not going to do anything that looks Jewish, which really means we're not going to anything that, do anything that looks like the Bible. That's really what it meant. We're going to change the days and the times of the Lord as Daniel prophesied. That is the spirit of the false Messiah. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't a bunch of believers who do that stuff that aren't really, that aren't really saved. I'm not talking about necessarily salvation here. But I am talking about those who can endure to the end. Those who can endure through the end. See, God gets his judgment day. He will judge the souls of people. He will say who is part of his kingdom and who is not. I don't get to do that. What I have to do is look at the scripture, look to what it says, look to the prophesies, look, look to what has happened already, how much prophecy has already happened. I really believe that the false messiah system, the beast system, is Rome. I know that Romanim, uh, the Hebrew word for Romanim, is um, the Gematria 666. Um, I believe that the, um, the system of Rome is a kingdom that has not yet been overtaken. It has just kind of been changed and expanded. I believe we're still under the system of Rome. By the way, we still act like it. We still kind of fantasize about how the Romans, you know, did uh, their set up their po political system and their economy. We get a lot of ideas from that system, that e economic um those economic ideas and that system. And listen, there's nothing wrong with capitalism. And I'm, I, I, there's nothing wrong. In fact, I'm a fan. I think capitalism's probably been the best economic system that we've tried as a human race so far. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a system that's heavily focused on um, you can have whatever God you want and you, you have the independence to do whatever you want. Okay, that concept, as wonderful as it is that we have choice, so many choices, right? We have so many choices, but it can tend into, it's very deceptive, it can tend into, well, your version of things is the true version of things, right? You do you. Truth is relative. If you feel it, it must be true. If it works for you, then go ahead and do it. If it feels good, that's what you should do. Follow your dreams. Follow your passions. Do what feels right to you. Find the God you want to serve. Find the universe, the universe, right? Give credit to the universe or find some light that you think you can worship and call it light, you know? And any, any type or version of God worship you could possibly come up with, we will promote it because you get to do that, right? Well, that's a, that's a Roman, very Roman thought process, right? That's, that's the thousands of gods. And, you know, you worship whatever God suits you that day, whatever gods you think you need that day, whatever one makes you feel better. So when you look at history, um, I, I really believe the false Messiah system is a Roman type system. It doesn't have anything to do with the location of Rome necessarily, although I do think the Vatican is probably religiously involved with it. But 
more to do, because this system is all over the globe, right? It's more to do with a mindset. It's a Rome mindset. And um, this is, I think, this final kingdom that this final beast really comes out of, that this system comes out of, that this rebellion comes out of. These are all, again, just theories. So listen, I hope I've given you a little bit more information about the forehead and the hand today. As I said at the beginning, I'll say it at the end, I offer this to you with an open hand. A lot of these things that I've discussed are ideas, theories, connections I'm making as I read through the whole Bible right now, because I'm reading through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, for a project, for something I'm going to bring to you guys pretty soon I'm excited about. But as I read through, I'm shocked at how often the forehead and the hand come up. And they always come up in either you pledge allegiance to God or you pledge allegiance to something false, to a false God and a false system. I think believers need to be considering this as we look at what's happening globally, as we look at where we're headed globally, monetarily, as we look at the real leadership happening in the globe, we can then evaluate what am I willing to participate in? And if it violates God's ways, any of them, if it violates God's ways, what system is it really part of? I am harping again to you guys on the Sabbath and the feast days of God because they teach you something about the end times. They teach you what God will do, the prophecies he will continue to fulfill. They teach you what he already fulfilled. And in practicing them, they become marks of who you are. And I hate to say this, but Sunday worship is never listed as a marker in scripture. Just isn't. Christmas is never listed as a mark for you. It just isn't. Okay. You need to consider these things. What does the Bible say? Not what did the Catholic church say after Christ left the earth? Not what does some man say? Not what did Martin Luther say? Not what did, you know, some other dude say? What did God say? Why are we running to man for the answers, dead men at this point, when we should be running to the scripture that is living and active, that is still fulfilling prophecy, that has been proven time and time again? Why are we running to man-made doctrines when we could open up our Bibles and do our research and run to the one who created the creator, the seventh day God, the God who made all things, the God who authored them and who has the right to define them without us messing with his definitions. Yes, I'm passionate about this because I think that this is a key that unlocks the end time believer. It unlocks a way to endure to the end, to understand what you are seeing and to know the truth, to know the difference between the false Messiah and the true Messiah. We got to get this. We got to get this right. So let me encourage you to go and open up your Bible and find out if what I've said today makes sense to you or not. Reach out with any questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, And please, as always, reach out to me with your prayer requests. I would love to pray for you. Um, Please be continually in prayer for me and for our family. We have a lot of things going on right now and a lot of possible changes. And I would um, just love your prayers, appreciate them. Many blessings to you all this week. Till next time.